Good morning. I previewed that in my office, and I was so touched, and I thought, you know, they're doing all the right things. They're loving their community. They're wanting to make disciples and uh, just doing so many different things that I think God's going to bless them. So you wait and see what God does in Tuluksac, Alaska. This morning I looked it up and it's nine degrees there. So anyway, you could be there or you could be here. But anyway, they're there. So I thought I'd be really cool and I, I would just tell you how far it is from here to there. So I, I looked up on Google Maps, I looked up on Maps, I looked up on MapQuest. Nobody's got the directions to Tuluksac, Alaska. <laughs> So anyway, thank you so much for, uh, for watching that. And also, I encourage you, please pray for them. Have you noticed a pattern? I mean, a few weeks ago, it was Coach Gill and her husband, Ben, how God's using them in Central Asia. Uh, then the Prestons, how God's getting them ready to go to Greece. And now uh, Jacob Tice, he's almost there. I mean, he's about ready to head off to Japan. And uh, we've got Aaron and Alyssa Litzler and their twins that are up there in Tuluksac, Alaska, Christian Farr, and so many others. Let's pray that God will continue to call out those that he wants to use in his great work. Well, this morning, I want us to look at Hosea chapter 8. Hosea chapter 8 is about God sounding the alarm. Do you like alarms? When we went to Japan, this is sort of a heads up for Jacob, but when we went to Japan, we were, we had been on a long flight. We had all of our luggage and we're just completely moving there. And so uh, we're tired. We're going through the line at immigration. And while I'm standing there talking to the man, I don't know what he's saying to me. And I'm giving him my passport, my wife's passport. I'm shaking about like Barney Fife. And uh, anyway, suddenly an alarm goes off. And I didn't know what it was. I was panicking and the man's looking at me. And anyway, he slaps his hand on one of my bags and said, this, open now. So man, I got my key to unlock my luggage out, you know, and I was trying my best to get there. And the man opened it, so he unzips it and opens it up. It was my alarm clock. It was going, beep, beep, beep. I didn't know it was my clock. I thought it was their, their alarm, so anyway. I don't like alarms very much. If you've ever been in our gym, whenever that alarm goes off, you know it. That's how alarms are supposed to be. We're not supposed to ignore alarms. The Old Testament book of Hosea has a striking similarity to the New Testament book of Romans chapter five, verse eight. We've said this over and over because I don't want you to forget it. Because Romans five, verse eight has a truthful confrontation of sin. It says, while we, all of us, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You know, God demonstrates his own love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. What he's saying is you have a problem, human race, all of you, that we're broken and fallen and we need the Lord. We need salvation. But at the same time, there's a confrontation of sin. There's also a loving declaration of mercy. When God says he demonstrated, if somebody ever said they loved you and they didn't prove it, well, you can't say that and I can't say that about God. He gave his own son to die on the cross, not for his mistakes and his sins and his rebellion, but for our sins, our rebellion, our, our choices and so forth. Well, that same revelation is coming through the Old Testament prophet Hosea. 
as under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the same God who had the New Testament written also has the Old Testament written and the same message. He's confronting a nation that is a runaway nation that's rebelling and sinning. But at the same time, you've got to admit, if you've been with us for this whole journey, along with the confrontation of that nation's sin, was also this expression of God's mercy and God's love. Because the prophet Hosea, with the message that came from his lips and with the life that he lived through his marriage, all of it communicated something. Even though they were sinful, God was still saying, I love you, I love you, and I want you to be right with me. So he calls them, instead of walking away in unfaithfulness, God is constantly calling the northern kingdom of Israel at that time in Hosea's life, calling them back. And so it's no surprise that in chapter 8 and right at the beginning of verse 1, you're going to hear these words, set the trumpet to your lips. What does he mean? What he means is God is sounding the alarm. God's clock's been ticking. There's a point of no return for any nation, any individual, any life that says no to God whenever God's asking for a yes. And by the time we reach chapter eight, the time to repent has passed. God is sounding the alarm that judgment is coming. If you think about it, our society has a lot of alarms, don't we? I mean, we have alarm clocks to awaken us from our sleep. We have smoke alarms that alert us of a fire. We, even when our kids are playing Little League, there's a lightning detector that'll go off if lightning is getting near where they're playing uh, Little League. There's burglar alarms to in, indicate a, an intruder. There's a, an alarm app that's on our phones. I don't know if you use it. I use it when I have an appointment, lest I forget. And so I set my little alarm on my cell phone. But all of these things, it's a sobering chapter whenever we get to this chapter eight of Hosea because God's saying, set the trumpet to your lips. And so the word trumpet that's used in chapter eight and verse one is actually a Hebrew word, shofar. Some of you that have uh, gone deeper into uh, the Old Testament, you probably know what a shofar is. It's a certain kind of horn that's made from a ram's horn and they blow through it and it makes a certain sound. And this was actually the second warning that the Lord was giving to the nation of Israel at that time. We're gonna be in chapter eight, but if you were to read chapter five and verse eight, it says, blow the horn in Gibeah, the trumpet in Ramah, sound the alarm at Beth-Avon. We follow you, O Benjamin. God's been trying to get their attention. He's been trying to say, I'm serious about this. Are you listening to what I'm saying? And so here he's saying once again, set the trumpet to your lips. It's probably not a trumpet like I used to play trumpet in high school. I thought about bringing it and I thought, no, I don't think we can afford the, all the hearing damage lawsuits that we would go through if I tried to play something. But anyway, this curved horn, God said, it's time to sound the alarm. And so that's what he was calling them to do. If you were to go to Numbers chapter 10, verses 1 through 10, you would see sometimes they use the horn for different reasons. For example, in Numbers 10, verses 1 through 10, you would see that, yes, sometimes they blow that horn when there's 
an, an enemy that is approaching the camp. So they want to alert the people that are in the camp. Other times they assemble the tribes for a special uh, feast. Sometimes an announcement, some kind of news needs to be delivered to the people. Maybe there's a new king. And so they're going to acclaim the king or they're going to awaken the Lord's people to God's presence in their worship. But whatever the reason is, God would sound the trumpet. And I want you to know right now, God is sounding the alarm. God's sounding the alarm for Israel, but is God sounding the alarm for America? Some of us are getting burdened that we're not listening to what God is saying in his word, what he has said. So God was sounding the alarm for accountability, for their persistence in sin. So I want you to picture in your mind as we read through uh, Hosea chapter eight, think about maybe, maybe we don't have alarms like that, but think about perhaps a police car. The blue lights are flashing, the siren is going, and God's driving the car and he's behind us. And God is saying, pull over, I'm warning you, pull over. Let's stand together and see what God will say through Hosea chapter eight as we read it this morning. You follow along in your copy of God's word. We'll also uh, hopefully have it on the screen pretty soon for you. But Hosea eight verse one says, set the trumpet to your lips. One like a vulture, that word could also be eagle, is over the house of the Lord. Why? Because they have transgressed my covenant and rebelled against my law. To me, they cried, my God, we, Israel, know you. Israel has spurned the good, the good. The enemy shall pursue him. They made kings, but not through me. They set up princes, but I knew it not. With their silver and gold, they made idols for their own destruction. I have spurned your calf, O Samaria. My anger burns against them. How long will they be incapable of innocence? For it is from Israel a craftsman made it. It's not God. The calf of Samaria shall be broken to pieces. For they sow the wind, and they shall reap the whirlwind. The standing grain has no heads. It shall yield no flower. If it were to yield, strangers would devour it. Israel is swallowed up already. They're among the nations as a useless vessel. For they have gone up to Assyria, a wild donkey wandering alone, Ephraim, has hired lovers. Though they hire allies among the nations, I will soon gather them up, and the king and princes shall soon ride because of the tribute, because Ephraim has multiplied altars for sinning. They have come to him altars for sinning. Were I to write for him my laws by the ten thousands? they would be regarded as a strange thing. As for my sacrificial offerings, they sacrifice meat and eat it, but the Lord does not accept them. Now he will remember their iniquity and punish their sins. They shall return to Egypt, for Israel has forgotten his maker and built palaces, and Judah has multiplied fortified cities so I will send a fire upon his cities and it shall devour her strongholds. 
Let's go to the Father in prayer. Lord, thank you so much for just your call. It's so wonderful to see uh, Aaron and Alyssa Litzler following your call, loving the people of Tuluksek. Perhaps many of them have never heard about the God in heaven who loves them, who sent his son. So bless them. Thank you for that meeting they're having with other churches in their community that when they call confluence, just like two rivers coming together, I pray that they would come together in praying for a great spiritual awakening across that part of Alaska. We pray that you would not pass us by. We want you to also awaken us. We know that there are many in our community, many in our families, many in our country who still are not prepared to enter into eternity. And so Lord, help, help them to wake up, help us to be revived and to deliver the good news. For we've found victory in Christ. We've found peace and hope and love, forgiveness and grace and mercy. Uh, others have not. And so help us, O oh Lord, to extend that gladly. Help us, O oh Lord, to be like, well, like a trumpet, that you could blow through our lives that sound that says there is salvation found in Christ. Bless us as we look into this passage. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much. You may be seated. Remember, God is a God of justice as well as a God of righteousness. And it's interesting how Psalm 89 verse 14 says that righteousness and justice are the foundation of God's throne. So let's review God's legal system, his justice system, as it is portrayed here in Hosea chapter 8. And think about those who don't know Christ. Perhaps you know Christ. So let's pray for those who do not know Christ. Well, the first thing we see is the arrest, the arrest of a rebellious runaway nation in chapter 8 and verse 1. What happens if a criminal who's committed a serious crime runs away from the police force when law enforcement are chasing that person? He continues to flee. He must be or she must be apprehended and arrested. Well, it's almost like something like that in chapter eight, verse one, when God says, set the trumpet to your lips, sound the alarm. And then he says, one like a vulture. Like I said earlier, some translations say eagle. One like an eagle is over the house of the Lord. So it's like, have you ever thought about that um, simile that he chooses there, one like an eagle? Have you ever thought about what that means? Wow. I got to doing a little bit of research on an eagle, and I thought, if an eagle is after me, man, I'm just going to give up. Here's why. Because an eagle, do you know the strength of their claw? Have you ever thought about this? I mean, I shake a lot of hands, and I like it when a man shakes my hand, and I know I've shaken hands with a man. I don't like those limp handshakes, but I'm telling you, if you were to shake hands or shake the claw of an eagle, that dude would crush your hand. And here's the reason, because the average man has 20 pounds per square inch in their grip. We can squeeze about 20 PSI, but do you know what the strength of an eagle's claw is? 400 PSI. So I'm telling you, when he grabs a hold of you, you'll know he got you. But then think about the speed of an eagle. You know, maybe you'd say, that's okay. I can outrun one of those dudes. I'm fast. Well, do you know that the fastest man on earth can run about 23.35 miles per hour? That's pretty fast, especially when the rest of us can only run about 
five to six miles per hour. I saw one chart that showed when you get over 60, you know what, I'm not even gonna tell you what happens when you get over 60. But anyway, I was just thinking, the speed decreases, let's just put it that way, it doesn't increase. So anyway, an eagle, when he's diving for the prey, get this, 150 miles per hour. So that's why I'm saying when God says, when I'm coming after you, man, you better as well say, okay, God, I surrender right now. I give up. That's the best thing to do because the speed of an eagle is incredible how quickly they can be on their prey. But then what about the sight? Can you ever hide from God? Can you hide from an eagle? Do you know that in the human eye, in a man's eye, we have these cones per square millimeter. We have 200,000 cones per square millimeter, which that's great. I mean, thank God that we can see as far as we can see. But what about an eagle? He doesn't have 200,000. He has 1 million cones per square millimeter. So just think about in the fovea of an eagle's eye, how much further he can see. So when God is trying to say this, he's saying, Israel, why are you trying to run from me? When I deploy my policemen to go and get you, you will not be able to outrun them. So Israel had violated the covenant. And if you were to read Deuteronomy 28, Deuteronomy 28 verses 49, 50, and 51, you know what God says will happen? He says to Israel, if you, if you disobey me and you break this covenant, I'm gonna send an, a foreign army and they're gonna invade your country. And you know what he says they're gonna be like? He said, they're gonna be like an eagle that swoops down and gets a hold of you. So all I'm saying is, it's better for a nation to say, God, we wanna do things your way. We don't wanna run from you because it's impossible to outrun you. And once you get a hold of us, you will not let go. You have such a strong grip and you can see wherever we may try to hide. But maybe you're thinking, what had they done wrong? Well, let's look at it together in verse one. Why is God going to come after them? Why does he want to apprehend them? Well, it's simple. He says in verse one, because they have transgressed my covenant and rebelled against my law. That's what they had done wrong. You remember that saying that used to be out for a while, if you do the crime, you do the time? Well, chapter eight gives us more specifics on what crime had they done. But right here is like a summary. In summary, he says, you violated the covenant, you've transgressed my instructions. Have you and I done that? You know what Romans says in Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's why none of us are gonna be worthy to get into heaven in our flesh, by ourselves, without the Savior, without his atonement. None of us will ever be good enough to be accepted into God's family. How many of us would ever raise our hand and say, I've never made a mistake. I've never sinned. I've never disobeyed God ever. That's why Romans 3.23 is so, it's such a blanket statement. You know, some of you know that my wife and I served for 12 years in Japan as missionaries. So we had to learn the Japanese language. Pray for Jacob because he's gonna have to learn the Japanese language. But one of the things that we learned, and I was so shocked when I read this, but do you know that Japanese word for sin is T-S-U-M-I. It's pronounced tsumi, tsumi. Do you know what tsumi also means in addition to sin? It means crime. And so a sinner is called a tsumibito, a person who has sinned. 
But then some people, when we would be sharing the gospel with them in Japan, they would say, I'm not a criminal. You're calling me a tsumibito, but I'm not a tsumibito. I haven't committed a crime, but it's in God's eyes. Maybe in your eyes, maybe in the eyes of the culture, maybe you compare yourself to other people and you say, I'm better than that one. I'm better than this one. But God's not looking at that. God is saying, have you done what I've asked you to do? And so it's a very personal thing. This is about a national problem. And so I just wanted you to know that whenever God judges a person, whenever God judges or sends some kind of punishment or whatever upon a nation, I want you to know he always has a reason. That's why the Hebrew word here, ya'an, is used. It's the word we see in verse one is because why is the vulture coming? Why are the vultures circling? Why is the eagle swooping down to get this nation of Israel? Because he says, this is the reason, this is why they've transgressed my covenant. Did you notice the plural there? They? I know sometimes we're like, hey, I don't, I'm not to blame for what my nation does. I'm not to blame for what my family does. And in some ways, you're right, you're right. But in other ways, you're wrong because we're all connected. We're all connected. And so God says, I want you to know that you have disobeyed me. And so we have to, as a nation, we have to, as individuals, as families say, Lord, forgive us for the things that we have done wrong. So what are they going to do whenever God charges them? Here's what they chose to do. It's very easy to see it in verses two and three. Do you know what a plea bargain is? A plea bargain works sometimes in American courts of law, but it doesn't work in God's courtroom because the plea bargain is when the defendants are trying their best to settle this whole thing out of court. They're hoping for a reduction of the sentence. They're hoping for a favorable concession. But you know what God sees? Like they're saying, look at what they say when you get down here in uh, this verse, what, uh, yeah, verse two. To me, God says, they cry. So what's Israel going to say to God? My God, we, Israel, we know you. We know you. Is that what people are going to say to God when they stand before him? We know you. But you know, there's a passage where God says, I don't know you. You're not one of my disciples. You're not born again. You've never trusted Jesus Christ to forgive you of your sins. But notice the inconsistency. You see, God saw it. God saw that there was an inconsistency between their confession and their conduct. Look at it so clearly. They're saying, we know you, God. We're the chosen people. But look at verse three. Israel has spurned the good. The enemy shall pursue him. You see, God says, you're saying you know me, but look at your actions over here. They're inconsistent with your confession. Your conduct doesn't match your confession. And so God says, here comes the consequences for sinning and walking away from me and disobeying me and not surrendering to me. And I know what maybe you're thinking, because I thought it, and I thought, wait a minute, where's mercy? What about grace? But then you have to put this chapter in context. For seven chapters, God's been speaking through Hosea and saying, repent, come back to me. I love you unconditionally. I love you with mercy. I love you with grace. I can forgive you. For 33 years, Hosea had been preaching and preaching and preaching. 
And God had expressed his mercy and his grace over and over again. He had been calling them to repent. He'd been calling them to surrender and to trust him. But you know what? They had refused. So now it's like God's saying, okay, okay. It's not going to work now to try to weasel out of this. So I just wanted to say to you, are you trying to do something similar? Are you saying, I'm a Christian. Hey, I'm a Christian. But your confession doesn't match your conduct. It doesn't match how you live the rest of the week. I think that God is calling us to be consistent because we assume he doesn't know. He doesn't see. God is, a, is not aware of what I'm doing, but he is aware of what we do. You see, in that awareness, that character of God, because yes, God is loving. Yes, God is merciful. Yes, God is gracious. Yes, God is faithful. All of those things are 100% true about God. But God is also, God is also righteous. God is also holy. God is also perfect. God is also just. And so those things come together in one place. You know where you can see it? On the cross. It's like on the cross when you have that uh, vertical beam and you have the horizontal beam. And it's like, how in the world can anybody be gracious and yet just at the same time? The cross is the perfect expression of who God is. Because the cross says, I take sin seriously. Maybe you think it's funny. Maybe you can laugh it off. Maybe you can think you can ignore it. But God says, I don't ignore it. And so he said, I must punish sin. But interject into that scene. The father who loves us so much that he says, I'm going to send my son. And my son is going to pay the price for all that sin and all that disobedience and all those things that you've done that are in rebellion. Isn't that truly amazing? That on the cross, we see the holiness of God as God pours out his wrath, but we also see that mercy of God as the son of God says, I haven't sinned, Father, but I will absorb, I will take all of the punishment for their sin, and I will uh, be the one who gives atonement by what I've done. And so the father, what did he do? Jesus was placed in a tomb. And you know that three days later, the father said, my son has never disobeyed me. Never, not once. And so the father says, I'm raising my son from the dead. And when he raised Jesus from the dead, what he basically said was, I accept the sacrifice for the sins of the world. And so that's why today we have good news. The people of First Baptist Church love you, and we're glad you're here today. And so our invitation to you is the same invitation we said yes to for, for some of us many years ago. But for you, it can be today. You could say, Lord, I'm so sorry that I've been going in the wrong direction. Lord, you've been speaking and speaking and calling and calling to repentance. And I've been ignoring you. I've been walking away from you. I've been rebelling and, and turning. But now I want to turn and I want to go in your direction. Please help me, O oh Lord, to trust Christ. You see, we come to Christ the way we are. We don't get our life together. You don't say, okay, now I'm perfect. Now God's going to accept me. No, you know what you do? You come to the Lord in all your brokenness, in all those 
fragments of a life that sin has just busted up and you say to God, oh, please, oh Lord, I lay before you uh, all of the brokenness. Can you forgive someone like me? Can you help me to follow you? Can you help me, Lord, to live for you? And it becomes real. It's not just something we're saying with words. It's something we're living out each and every day of our lives. That's what God was calling them to do. But over and over again, they continued to say no. And so on a national basis, the Assyrian army, they were coming. The Assyrian army was going to take away everything for the nation of Israel, the northern kingdom. They were going down. And a little later, the southern kingdom of Judah was going to be the same thing. Not the Assyrians, but the Babylonians. But just know that when God comes, God is able to catch us. And so don't try to run from God. Why don't you stop running? Why don't you say to the Lord, I've been running all my life, but today the running ceases. I want to come to Christ because I realize that all along, while I was still a sinner, you were demonstrating your love for me in that you gave your son Jesus to die on that cross. If you will simply repent of sin and turn to him, say, Lord, I'm sorry. Lord, I trust what you did for me on the cross. Then I guarantee it, God will forgive you and he'll wipe away the sin. Why don't we have a prayer about that and then we'll have our uh, time of response and invitation. Let's pray together. Oh, Father, Lord, I thank you so much for how your word, it's so seamless. It's so comprehensive and it fits together so perfectly. I thank you for how you inspired every single word of the Old Testament and the New Testament and how you've been saying the same thing. You say it to nations. You say it to individuals. You say it to families and you say it to communities. Oh Lord, help us to listen whenever you're speaking through your word. I pray that you would especially help us to listen if you're sounding the alarm. If you're telling us, time's up, help us, oh Lord, to, to cry for mercy and to ask you to please uh, spare us, to please work in our lives, to please save us, deliver us, rescue us. So thank you so much for giving your son on the cross, uh, Father. Thank you so much. I pray that today, if there's anyone here that has never personally trusted Jesus Christ, I pray that today they would say, I want to trust him today. So thank you for this time of invitation. Help those that need to respond to do so and to know that you will bless them as they turn it over to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. This is a ministry of First Baptist Church located at 1700 Milam Street, Columbus, Texas.